Hello and welcome to the Demo Team Podcast. Uh, this week we have a very special guest, a uh, scene legend in the making, you know, like just one of the greats of the olden time days. And like even to this day, dude, like they're still doing stuff today. We've got uh, Jordan Blake here today. And you may know him from Watch Out There's Ghosts, Skylet Drive, Transes, Speak of the Devil, Raising Alexandria, Sad Waves. I could be here all day. This dude has a discography, a, a very great resume. Uh, Jordan Blake, thank you for coming and being on the show today, dude. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been a long time. Of course, yeah, man. dude. Well, I, 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 like, I think I speak for everybody. We're all like huge fans, dude. Like, I grew up with your stuff. Like, it's a, uh, it's a little surreal moment for me right now to have you here on the show. Like, a little trippy. Oh man, it's uh it's still. I mean, it's been a long time for since I started playing music and stuff. And whenever I do things like this, I still get nervous and I'm still, you know, it's an honor to have people even give a shit about my music, even if it was old or new. It's the, I'm, a, I'm happy to be able to talk to people and uh, especially ones that appreciated, you know, I've dedicated my whole entire life to playing music and I mean, I'm 34 and I'm still trying uh, every single day, trying to figure out what's next and how to stay relevant. And so I've, I'm actually really grateful for people like you or you guys for doing these type of shows and helping expose and spread the word about old artists like myself or new ones. Exactly, dude. That's what we're here for, man. Like, we want to bridge that gap, you know, because, like, this music scene, like, post-hardcore music, even, like, EDM, like, uh, hip-hop trends and stuff like that, like, it's all very, like, loosely connected, but I feel like people like you who have always like worked with projects and bands that kind of like bridge that gap like genre bending and stuff i think that's like hugely like monumental to like how like music has developed like in the nowadays scene and like folks like you are very essential in like that development and like the music dude well thanks yeah i i uh never have known what i was gonna do before i did it like when i started um a Skylet Drive that was more or less all of us in that area wanting to make a band that was, you know, worth going out and spending five bucks to see or to travel to see. Cause we had a, we all had different bands and uh, we all, each band kind of had a strong point, but none of us had a good enough band to be, you know, a well known band. So basically, mm -hmm. when I started singing and playing with, uh at the time Skylet Drive all of them well actually Kyle was in my band and we were on one side of the railroad tracks and then the rest of them were on the other side and they were a band called the uh, Farkas mm. and a uh, terrible band name and uh <laughs> <laughs> I we we had met because there wasn't too many places to play back where we were from and I think we both had watched each other's bands kind of like oh man their singer's not too strong, and oh yeah, Jordan's band's kind of meh. So we kind of joined forces and then made Skylet Drive two different times uh, while we were in high school. So it yeah. was uh, definitely throwing shit at the wall to see what stuck kind of, kind of a thing. Yeah, like um, in your early days, the band you're talking about, was that when you were in uh, Ann Arbor? Yeah, Ann Arbor was the band that was playing... Well, actually, we were originally called Random Intelligence, and that oh. was like 
we played pop punk music. I was, uh, I got my first bass and I just uh, got out of church school. So I started going to public school and realizing that, you know, there was this whole new world on the internet that was, you know, this was 2002. So, you know, I was just getting uh, internet that wasn't dial up. So, you know, I was getting LimeWire and like whatever those Morpheus and like Kazaa and all that shit. And I started downloading music and uh, didn't know shit about what I was listening to. So I, you know, I put in your typical words like emo or hardcore. And that's how I came across the, a lot of the bands. But yeah, Ann Arbor was um, actually the guitar, the guitar player that made Watch Out There's Ghosts with me. He was in Ann Arbor. He was one of the only ones that didn't make it to a Skylar Drive from that band. The original drummer of Ann Arbor was the original drummer of Skylar Drive and was the drummer in Watch Out. Oh, nice. So, like, so, uh, that was before, like, Corey LeQuay? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, uh, that was, you know, we started the band in high, we were all seniors, I think, or juniors. And um, Josh and Jerry, Jerry's the drummer, those were both my best friends from school. And then everybody else in Silent Drive, they were all best friends from, like, the town over. So at first we kind of, like, I don't know, I think we were kind of in competition with each other until we realized that, hey, you know, we should join forces and, like, you know, really create something new because... We had Kurt Travis to look up to. Um, he was in a band called Five Minute Ride. And we, so we had that in common. We were all in love with his band. And so we would meet at Five Minute Ride shows. And that's where we all kind of started talking about it. It was like, damn, look at Five Minute Ride. Look what they're doing. Like, pop punk is cool and fun and all. But I, I'm depressed. I've always been sad. I want to, you know, I want to scream and do heavier shit. I got so sick of playing pop punk music, like, probably weeks into it. I just would rather have been in some band than no band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that was around the time, like, pop punk was kind of, like, fading. And post-hardcore was having, like, a surgence. Like, it was, like, from the underground to just, like, mainstream. Like, it was becoming more accepted. This was out in Lodi, though, right? Yeah. We were from Lodi, California. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, I used to live out in Sacramento. I used to see you guys play out, like, a uh, boardwalk and stuff. So it's really cool to get some insight on this and just like hear like the the details it's like a total flashback for me yeah I, I remember you know the boardwalk was the first big step that was like you know we talked we used to talk about playing the boardwalk and how that was gonna be like so cool to be able to play the boardwalk and not have to play at a fucking coffee shop and shit because <laughs> right right off the bat we were bringing hundreds of people to our shows there just really wasn't very many venues like the area wasn't prepared for 16 17 year olds to have like a following i mean i honestly hadn't seen it too many times other than our bands and our scene like like i said earlier kurt travis was uh probably the first singer that I saw live and was like, holy shit, like, this guy's, like, amazing. Like, mm -hmm. still to this day, Kurt's probably one of my favorite writers. Everything he does is just super solid. And uh, it's like, you don't you don't want to, like, they try not to, the other guys, they try not to fanboy, but they have five-minute ride tattoos. <laughs> 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 I, never, I never got my five-minute ride tattoo, but... <laughs> 
it's never too I, late. So yeah, I was joking about it because I, I had Kurt. I flew Kurt out um, to do emo night with me. I get you guys posted a video of it the other day. Yeah, we, definitely. Uh, we, we hosted a emo night on Valentine's Day, which was super cool because it was like a bunch of depressed emo kids like, in <laughs> Houston, and it was just so fitting because. Uh, Kurt was currently he was single in that moment and uh it was just you know he it was he was really relatable and I think the people there were you know they got to have a really intimate moment with him cuz he's super down to earth he's he still acts like he's never sold a record or went on a tour he's probably one of these my big influence and I look up to that guy a lot we had the same sentiments when we had him on the show <laughs> yeah, it was surreal to say the least. Yeah, yeah. My heart to know we got another Kurt Travis fan on here. Actually, <laughs> especially uh, the ones who have the the five minute ride tattoos. Like that's you know first band. That's back in the day, and uh, oh. that kind of that kind of that makes me curious. Uh, so you know you're talking about making music back in high school, and uh, and then even now, even then now. So it's like how did how was uh creating music from then and now? feel oh geez it's so much different and it's like i haven't been in a band with other people for years like i've started projects like i started speak of the devil and then trances was probably the last band that i actually practiced with well speak of the devil i had a josh um and wade wade's uh, he's in secrets now and then Wade's in a mirror. So we had a thing going for like like a month or two. But um, that was 2012. So, what, eight, nine years? Um, I've basically been doing everything myself. And I miss the way it used to be. I miss having to, like, have a schedule with people, make sure everybody was free, and then meeting up in a place. And then having to actually take advantage of the time that you had together. Because now I can sit here on my computer all fucking day long, which I do. I mean, I I write music uh, for, you know, I try to, I try to like big brother bands. Like I have my company, Cannibal Music Family. And it's like, it's not a label. It's more or less like. I'll teach you what I think I know and, you know, I'll give you my tips and tricks and we can be friends. I'm more of a therapist, I guess, you know, I try to, I try to find people who need me because I need them just as equally because I, I like to feel, uh, wanted. Like it is very lonely. It's like being like a solo artist and like the whole emo, the whole revival of the emo scene, like it was kind of, it was like bittersweet because, you know, I would get flown out to host uh, emo night and get paid four times, five times the amount that I was getting to play solo or with my team 86 or any of my other projects. And so it kind of almost felt like, you know, like a dick, dick slap to the face. But at the same time, they were jerking me off. So it was like, OK, it's, it's a win win. I'm getting money and. You know, I'm getting to see all these people who are telling me how much my music meant to them. But at the same time, they pretend kind of talk to me like I'm dead, like like as if it's like like 
they're having this once in a lifetime opportunity to talk, but like I'm on the internet and I'm always, you know, I put myself out there like about anything in my personal life. You can find it on the internet because I've I've never wanted to be somebody that was kind of like, you know, I want to be like, because I am just like everybody else. We all are. And like Kurt is taught me a lot of that too. You know, like being humble will get you so much more further in this industry than even money and success like that shit's gonna go away at some point or another but people will always remember you if you're a good person so I've, I've tried to stick by that um my uh my mom kind of raised me to be that way too and uh I was pretty much done with music after I moved here and met uh my girlfriend my about like a month or two after that my mom passed away and uh, so I had to fly back out to California to see her, and I asked her if she thought if I should, you know, give up and come home and take care of whatever I needed to take care of, and she told me not to quit and to keep going, and I was kind of pissed that she said that because now I can't. I, like, it's kind of like I, I, I have to do it. Like, something has to happen, and COVID has really just been, like, a test of on everybody, not I feel like it's just me because I, I've secluded myself so much. I don't go outside. I don't really socialize with anybody because I know you're in Texas. One, one of y'all is in Texas. Texas don't take it too yeah. seriously and it spreads. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was bartending uh, when it first started happening and I had people in the bar that uh, that were you know, joking about having COVID and how it didn't do shit. Like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm good now. Like, I got sick for a little bit, but I'm fine. Or, uh, oh, what's his name? He died, but he was fat. And it's like, y'all have COVID, and you're, like, wanting me to serve you beer? Like, for, for what? As a singer, years? too. Like, yeah, and, yeah. And my my job, my, the, the owner was a punk ass. Like, he should have been shutting down. I mean, well, he did. He shut the bar down and moved it to his house. So that he can continue to make money. But, um, yeah, he didn't give a shit. I mean, I'm diabetic. I just, like, the reason I left Skylet Drive was because, you know, I got MRSA staph infection. And that really fucked up my health, my mind, like, everything. Like, poisoned me. So, being diabetic and having, you know, past health issues, I was like, man, I'm just just asking for it by being out in public so so are you type, to, are you a type one or type two diabetic i'm type one i've been type one since i was eight. Oh, so you take the insulin shots and such yeah yeah my aunt's a diabetic uh type one too so i i understand the plight with that dude like you're a strong individual to go through that yeah i uh i fucking i hate feeling it's not feeling sorry or anything. It's like, I fucking hate it because like, I'll sometimes I'll be having the best day. Everything's going all right. And then my blood sugars go low and I'm ready to fucking punch a baby. Like, you know, I'm ready to jump off the tallest building just because I stubbed my toe or because I read something, some arrogant prick said on the internet, like this made me very bipolar. It's, you know, definitely they've suggested, you know, medication since I was young because of diabetes, di- being diabetic, and it's like, no, because if I play into that, then I'm going to have to play into this and play into that, so 
I feel like everyone's fucking crazy. It, it's just a matter if you want people to know or not. <laughs> but it's, def- it's definitely the hardest part. The shots and all that shit. That's that's not a big deal. It's the it's the mood swings, especially when you're in a band with somebody. You know, you got to be in a band with diabetic. Like I feel sorry for people that are in bands with diabetics. <laughs> yeah. You, you might as well invite your ex-girlfriend to be in the band and then have your new girlfriend <laughs> around her. <laughs> uh, Fleetwood Mac it, right? <laughs> right? Hell yeah. Keep it up. I mean, okay. it, could work, it could work a year or two. But, you know, an hour or two. Did you have any questions? <laughs> Who? Cash? Um, actually... Based off what you said about not liking to like make music by yourself versus like making music with your friends before, I guess I kind of felt that because like I was thinking about a tweet that I don't forget what his name is, but punk rock NBA. He um, I, what's his, do you guys remember his name? Finn McKenty. Yeah, Finn McKenty. He he's like, there's gonna be way more solo artists than there are gonna be bands. Sorry, he's like, sorry, rock bands, but there's gonna be way more solo artists now. And I'm like, well, that's probably true. There's like a there's like a whole, I think, dimension to like playing music with other people. And I feel like it helps you write, gives you, it can like be a huge morale boost, be a huge, it can also affect your morale badly too. But like, it's like a whole different dynamic. And so I kind of felt, I kind of like felt that too when you were saying that, if you want to elaborate on that at all. Yeah. Like I, I really do enjoy writing alone just because I can do it 24 hours a day. I can do it whenever I want. And I don't have to have anybody approve of what I'm doing or genres or anything like that. Um, so in that sense, it's it's better. But, I mean, every time I write a song that I'm proud of, I send it to somebody that I trust to get their opinion. So it's like I, you know, I kind of still want to be in a band because I'm hitting up all the people that I used to play with and being like, what do you think about this? Is this good? Is this going to make it? Or is this irrelevant? Cause it, when it, if you even look at it, like even the singer of Incubus, like he went and did solo music and I think sold like fucking 14,000 copies. And I mean, and that dude has, you know, one of the highest selling rock bands of our generation, but no one gives a fuck about his solo music. It's kind of, I mean, the same thing with like Skylar drive to watch out. There's ghosts. I mean, a couple people like to watch out there's ghosts, but still to this day, I get messages about Skylight Drive and then people that don't even know I did watch out there's ghosts. And so it's it's a trip. Like people get they know you for one thing and they kind of refuse to like see this new you or I feel like they've I feel like they feel if they support your solo music that you'll never go back to your original band. And at least that's what I tell oh, my yeah. I tell myself that that's why people are hesitant to tell me that what I'm doing now is good or decent because it kills any chances of what, what they really want. And I, I mean, the, doing the whole emo night thing, like I said, I had played a show maybe like three weeks before I did. I flew out for the emo night and I had maybe five people at that show and I was actually. I was pretty depressed. Like I even drove home in tears. Like I don't, I don't think I should let these guys fly me out because I don't think anybody's gonna show up. Like I don't even, I didn't know that there was actually like a whole younger generation 
of people because I'm like everyone that knew about Skylar Drive when I was in it, they all have to be in their 30s. Like the only ones that are going to be going to show still are ones that unfortunately never got married. And that really wasn't the case. There was, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but it was more people than I had the time to meet that night. And I did like a meet and greet for probably four hours. And uh, it was crazy. You know, people were telling me really deep stuff and, you know, kind of confiding in me and sharing you know, about their hard times and how the music helped them and, you know, tearing up, telling me thank you. And it's making me cry because I'm like, holy shit, like I fucking hate myself at times. But you're telling me that I was cool and still kind of am. And then I go to ask about, oh, have you, you know, heard anything I've done since then? And they're like, no, I'm not in the scene anymore. I only came out because you played emo night. Which is a trip, because I think the scene was completely dead as far as the emo shit. Because I, I try to stay up to times and stuff. Like, I was on Rise Records with Watch Out, so I still check out their new bands and check out Tragic Heroes' new bands. And there really wasn't too many that stuck out that were post-hardcore. Like, the whole mm-hmm. genre kind of plateaued, it seemed like. I know when I quit a Skylar Drive... Johnny Craig uh, parted ways with Dance Gavin Dance the same week, and Craig Mabbitt left West the Fall uh, a month later. So, and then Jerry Skites Airplane. So, the whole fucking scene, like, there was multiple bands that were at the top of, like, the MySpace charts that, you know, kind of dismembered and went different ways. So, it was kind of kind of a trip to see that people wanted I I mean I'm old so I think emo music is completely different than post hardcore music as far as like the bands I don't think that Skylet Drive is necessarily an emo band I think they're more of a post hardcore band but then if you listen to post hardcore like the top post hardcore bands from here to from now to the 90s none of those fucking bands sound like a Skylet Drive so it's weird. Like, post-hardcore was a weird thing. It never really was... To me, post-hardcore is, like, from first to last. And that's pretty much what I thought it was. I thought it was a singer that could scream and sing. I thought that's what kind of made you post-hardcore. Because you weren't all screaming and all breakdowns. So, I don't know. I would... I'm interested. Like, trances. I was... That's probably one of the favorite projects that I had or that I wrote with because it was musicians that weren't, we weren't in our first band anymore. So we knew more than four chords and we knew like music theory and structuring things. So I was really bummed out about that project not taking off. But after that one, I pretty much gave up because I don't really listen to the genre anymore. I mean, I, I, I listened to the Skylet Drive EP more than any other post hardcore band that's ever came out probably. <laughs> it's it's like, worth the replays, dude. That 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 right yeah. there was like a, a perfection of like the art, because like you say post hardcore, but it had like elements of like metalcore and it had like the synths and like all that stuff became super popular with crabcore, which wasn't until like three four years later. Like you guys were like ahead of the curve. Well, yeah, we we if you were to talk to all the guys, like we couldn't have told you what we listened to, and you would have been like, oh yeah, that's why they wrote that song, or that's why because 
we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, honestly. I know that Corey has always been insanely good at drums. The kid doesn't practice. He doesn't think of anything. Like, he just kind of he just go, comes out of him. He never practiced in his, he never had a drum set set up in his free time. Like he just came to practice. And even when I asked him to join, uh, we played a band with, or we played a show with his band and uh, they played before us. And I was like, holy shit, like, who is this kid? And I went and introduced myself afterwards. And he was like, oh yeah, you're Jordan and Skylar Drive. I love your band. And I was like, oh, okay, well, would you mind, uh, you want to come to practice on Friday? And he was like, yeah, I know the whole EP. I could play it for you, you know, no problem. And I was like, yeah, this kid's bullshitting us. There's no way he can do it. Like, it took us like a year to write all these songs. And he showed up and literally played all the songs first try. Like, we kind of didn't even know what to do with ourselves. And then we went into the studio. He recorded every song in one take and refused to do two takes. So... It was a trip, and it's not because he's stuck up or arrogant or anything. It's just be he doesn't need to. Like, he could have redone it, but he did it perfect the first time. So he, I'm, that's probably one of the biggest bummers is, like, once we really started learning how to write music and, like, uh, progressing as musicians, I wasn't in the band anymore. So I've, I've gotten them to show me all the a lot of the instrumentals for all of their records because we've stayed friends and they they got really good like i love how they progressed as a band and it's weird to think about how when we wrote that ep we we used the same chords on every song we just you know we structured them differently and uh i don't even know how just think about it because i can play the I could play the EP long guitar, but any of their other shit, I can't figure it out to save my life. Like Nick's hands are like four feet long. He could play any chord there is. <laughs> Damn. That's cool. Yeah, he's a, they're, they're all, they were all so good in their own way, which I mm-hmm. feel like bands don't really get the opportunity to, to wean out the people that needed more time to practice because we did that over like three years before anybody even knew who we were and when we recorded the ep that everybody knows we had already re-recorded those we had recorded those songs two times so that was the third try and uh, so i was under an extreme amount of pressure to do it i actually had the band go home and i stayed in north carolina and recorded it by myself with uh kit walters was the guy that uh i guess engineered and produced it and made it sound the way it did and um once i heard how much better he made the music sound it was really stressful like i had no time to step it up i just kind of had to like grab my balls and like fucking figure out how to do three different octaves of screaming and then i had to learn how to do harmonies in the studio which i had never done before and uh, so it was a really, you know, the pressure was on pressure. I don't think bands get pressured like that anymore because it's like, if you want to be in a band, you know, you're just going to sign the rights away to your music and you're never going to make shit. You're going to go on tours making $5 a day and your manager probably won't even buy you a fucking or your label won't even get you a van or trailer. So times have changed so much since when we started, like we had so we had so much 
going for us that made us, you know, we didn't work jobs. We literally practiced every day. Kyle's, the keyboard player's dad, uh, had like a five-car garage, and he dedicated at least 60% of that thing to us. He had gotten us a, a, a concert-sized PA, so I always could hear myself at practice which is really important. You know, when you first start bands, your singer usually can't hear himself. And so that kind of, I don't know, we had had, we had showed all of our parents, like, we really want to do this and we don't want to do anything else. Like the newspapers, everything around us in that area was behind, was kind of backing us up. I mean, the only reason we got to be a signed band was because we won a battle of the bands. If we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had the money, and shit probably would have died off that summer, but we did a Battle of the Bands against Dance Gavin Dance and a couple of other bands that have, that are no longer playing, but, um, yeah, it's crazy times, like, the, I would definitely do it all again if I could be a, a teenager, because I would have rather have been in a band than have gone to college any day. I mean, you get you get more chicks being in a band, and they actually like you for your talent, not because, you know, you go to a university or some douchey shit like that. I mean, and let's be real, emo chicks are hotter than preppy chicks any day. <laughs> Amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, um, yeah. <laughs> glad we all agree on that. I'm curious, like, what what is, like, the definition of emo? Like, in the music style, I, I've always been confused on that. To me, or, is, like, in gen, like, I don't know. Dude, for you. For you. Let's let's hear your definition. Sure. Well, e- emo music to me is when I hear a song and it makes me think of something that, it puts me in my feels, it gives me goosebumps, like it makes me sad, or it makes me happy, like it doesn't have to be depressing, but music, I, let's say, I thought that Attack Attack was a good band, I don't think they had any emotion whatsoever, I feel like they were just like a kind of a hard, heavy band, that had breakdowns, and they were fun to watch, but I, they never made me feel contemplate what i was doing with my life like music that makes me think about shit like that like say mm, saves the day to me is an emo band or jimmy world was an emo band that i liked or taking back sunday even uh glass jaw used to make me fucking wonder what the fuck was going on in the world because his scream was so brutal but it wasn't fake it was, like, actually from his diaphragm. So I feel like emo music, when it's heavier, is, like, it doesn't sound... It's it's anti-crabcore. And I, I like crabcore. I think that whole genre of music was sweet. It was super fun to watch live. And, I like, I toured with Attack Attack, and I kind of didn't want to give them the time of day before I met up with them on tour. But I, I saw them the first night, and I was like, holy shit, like, this band goes pretty hard. Like, this is... Uh, an interesting thing but emo music definitely makes me want it makes me miss people that i hate that's another thing too (laughs) like emo music will make me think about a different time and like i like thursday always made me think about 
a time before my time. Like, I could never understand what their singer was sad about, but you could hear it in his voice, and that made me sad. Like, you know, just knowing that he was sad. I mean, I haven't heard a good emo record in, well, I mean, actually, I really like uh, Paris. I haven't listened to him in a while, but when they first came out on Rise Records, those first couple songs, they were such a mix of genres, but she had a very emotional voice. And still Paramore. Paramore, I think, is an emo band. Like, their pop, I guess, is what most people would say, but they make me feel emotional. And I, so I think that emo music is an accomplishment to be able to write music that people can relate to. That's why I think it is the best genre. And it's weird that it's in a revival because I don't think it ever died. It just, it's changed. Like, you know, the the haircuts have changed and, you know, the style of clothes that people wear. But the whole message is still the same. But, you know, you kind of got to conform into what's happening if you want to make money and you want to be able to do music for a living, which kind of sucks because... Uh, I mean, when Skylar Drive was touring, even though we were doing good on charts and shit, it was hard to, like, the money was, was not, we weren't making a lot of money. It was a different time. And I don't know who was actually making, like, who was bigger making money at that time, because we got the tour with, like, all of our, all the bands we looked up to. Like, we went out with The Day to Remember, we went out with Pierce DeVille, um... We did our last tour with From First to Last, which was, you know, a big reason why I felt like I could go to the next chapter of my musical journey because I felt like I kind of not not had plateaued, but, you know, they had recently lost Sonny to, you know, EDM music. And so me being a huge Sonny fan, I was like, what? Like, why would he quit the band? Like, all I want to do is be like this fucking guy. And he just want, he gave it up for something else. So, you know, naturally I had to see what it was all about. And then I fell in love with electronic music on the road, on the last tour. And then I wanted to go make my own electronic project. And it just seemed like it was kind of, kind of the thing, but I still made it emo. At least I tried to. I wanted to do electronic music, but I didn't want people to think that I was selling out. I just love dancing. Like, it, it, dancing makes you, you know, some dance to remember and some dance to forget. It's like the coolest quote ever, but that's definitely how I feel about life is, you know, dancing really can get you through some shit. If you could just let yourself go and look like an idiot, throw your arms around. And that's why, I mean, I've always loved hardcore dancing, Safety too. dance. <laughs> like I, I love watching the ninjas do their thing like it's uh you know some people you don't know what they're going through all week and the denial or the you know the rejection they might have experienced so they get in the pit and they let it go and I mean they're douchey if they hit chicks or if they're just hitting people for no reason but sometimes I've seen like being in a Skyla Drive we had a lot of the a lot of the hardcore crew members the, from back home and even FSU members out here in Texas that were hardcore dancing and singing our lyrics and it was like that dude's like well you know they're, he's known to be a hard ass what is he doing listening to Skyla Drive but it's cool to actually see people dance to Skyla Drive that's one thing I miss about 
doing the dance shit is I don't get to see people like, you know, let their aggression out. Cause that was, I mean, I've, I've thanked many of bands for playing their music live so that I can go get my ass beat because I mean, I love pits still to this day. I mean, when I first got with my girl, we went out and saw Attila and I was fucking hardcore dancing at 33 years old and was like getting punched and shit. And I'm just like laughing. Like, this is so fun. Like people don't even understand that, that this is fun for me. Like all the kids were kind of picking on the little ones and then the older ones and shit. And I was just going out there like, here, be, let me, let me hit you and you hit me. And I don't even really listen to Attila, but their breakdowns go hard. So it was a, it was a good time. So I don't know. I guess I kind of got off topic with what emo is. I just <laughs> that's it's so many, fine, dude. That's fine. It's so many different things to me. Like I, I feel like uh, it's 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 definitely a lifestyle. It's yeah. definitely something to live by. And you know, you kind of like sign your name in blood when you become emo. You can never give it up. You got to keep your bangs and your girl pants till you die. I'll be. Ba- I'll be buried. It's just true. It's not a face. Still doing mom. it. It's not. <laughs> a yeah. It's not a face. So, on the topic of dancing, what did you notice, like a difference, like from like a Skylar Drive crowds to like Watch Out There's Ghosts? Like, did you get more disco pits, more people break dancing? Well, well, I think. Because it seemed like the only people that actually really got to find out about a Skylar or watch out while I was still doing it originally the first time were Skylar Drive fans. So they were the ones that were, you know, curious enough to see what I was doing. And so they ventured off into a Jeffree Star tour or a Millionaire's tour or Broken Side. And so you got a lot of the a lot of mock dancing, you know, people were two-stepping to a dance song and I saw that a lot of the times and I had to learn that you know my fans just weren't they didn't know what was up with the disco dance and you know that type of thing but I tried to explain to people live at the shows like I'm giving you an opportunity to grab some ass like I'm like I'm setting you up with a sexy (laughs) dance song stop punching everybody grab a girl and let's dance and so, you know, eventually, like, people caught on to, like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to, you know, let my guard down and kind of, you know, be more into girls than into the fighting type of thing. And so I did a lot of, I fucking had, I had to open up for Drop Dead Gorgeous for 45 nights with He Is Legend. Um, as Holy watch smoke. Out Ghost. That was fucking a hard thing to do every night. Um, I did the Attack Attack tour, even though they were kind of poppy. They had a lot of uh, a lot of hardcore type of dancers that came out to see them, and who else did I? I mean, and then all the other tours were straight fucking. I mean, I had I had the worst is I had to open for Jeffrey Star for forty five days. I mean, I I I sang on his very his first song, which, as far as I know, was his most uh, you know sold the most i sing on the whole fucking thing i never got credited for it but when he took me out on tour he like made me sing it with him live every night but still never told anybody that i was the one to sing on it i remember he made a myspace post saying he had three different octaves in his screaming range (laughs) 
Isn't that you? <laughs> no, that's uh. Yeah. Oh, I've, oh I've, Jeffrey. I've read uh, I've read the comments of his fans defending him and shit, and I'm like, y'all really think that guy could sing and scream? Like, no hate or anything, but I mean, I'm glad he found found his path of makeup. That's all it's ever been. He never was an artist, a singer. He just he was capitalizing on everything that was going on, like the millionaires mm-hmm. and broken sides, like, and mm-hmm. I guess wa- Watch Out kind of had to forcefully fit into that niche. Like, millionaires were the reason why we got in contact with the producer who made our record. He made the millionaires music, too. And <laughs> by being out there for the summer and hanging out with millionaires in the studio all the time, that's how why they chose, I guess, to take us out on their 45-day tour. And so, basically, all the tours we got were favors. Like, nobody really knew who the band was. And so, it was it was crazy. I went from playing sold-out tours to, um, you know, being a band that nobody knew. And people being obsessed over the headliner. It was a trip. Even Blood on the Dance Floor was bigger that's, that's Bummer, crazy. dude. Uh, yeah, dude, I had to play to Blood on the <laughs> Like, no offense to any Blood on the Dance Floor fans that ended up liking my music, but 90% of them are fucking shit stains. And yeah. they have no respect. They go out to shows and they they just run their fucking mouths. And uh, I know I, I was so glad to get off that fucking tour. Like, I was playing to 400, 500 people a night, but it wasn't worth it because the kids were just so obsessed with this dude who, and, and like, maybe I I was feeling old. At the time. I was only 22, and I felt like I was getting too old to understand what was hip because all of that shit was going on. And I'm, I'm out here singing with a four and a half octave range, getting shown up by a guy that's talking about his micro penis in fucking Happy Mills. <laughs> <laughs> get him um shit he, like he, i was gonna uh, say like that uh that whole watch out there's ghost thing like you had left uh skylight drive and then rise records scooped you up like that was like a big deal like for a solo artist like i know you eventually expanded watch out there's ghost to include the guitar player but like yeah, did the, you go over that like how that the so the whole reason why I had the guitar player was because, like I was saying earlier, uh, Josh was in Ann Arbor. He was in one of my first bands. And uh, I guess, you know, he didn't make the he didn't make the second draft, per se. So he he got left behind and that always killed me. So, like, you know, I called him a lot when I was on the road. He was kind of like my confidant and my best friend, so I hated him not being there when I was out on the road with Skylight. And, I mean, I I, lo- I care about the Skylight Drive guys. I mean, we were always cool or whatever, but I didn't grow up with them. Like, I didn't go to high school with them or anything. The only reason we were friends is because we had something in common. You know, we, we both wanted to be, you know, successful and wanted to play music for a living. So that's kind of how we became friends is that was pretty much why we were friends. Uh, 
I homeschooled. I homeschooled, so basically, I I uh I stayed up all night downloading music, slept till three o'clock in the afternoon, and Josh and Jerry used to walk by my house on the way home from school, and then we'd go to their house and practice. So like we had always, you know, we had always worked really well together. And so since I was doing a dance project, I was like, man, I don't even fucking need a guitar. So I could have Josh. Like, he could just, you know, be in the band with me and I can get him out of our shitty town and he can make what he wants of it. You know, I didn't know if he was going to want to become a big guitar player or if he was just going to want to go on a couple tours. And unfortunately, he just wanted to go on a couple tours and go back to working a normal job which I couldn't understand why anybody would want to do that things were really looking up for us and that kind of him leaving kind of put me in a weird downward spiral which I was already in before I even started the band I was you know I was on a lot of prescriptions um trying to regulate my mind and you know it was one day I was in Skylet Drive and then one night I just you know this is a trippy thing about me that I don't really talk about anymore because it's pretty fucking embarrassing, but I was raised Christian. I was raised, uh, I went to Christian school my whole life. I was God-fearing for a very, very long time. I didn't jack off till I was probably like fucking 14 or 15 because I didn't want to go to hell. So that played into me being on tour and shit. You know, I didn't want to fuck bitches. I didn't want to... I mean, I wanted to try drugs, and I wanted to try to, you know, do things I hadn't tried before, but only because I was given the opportunity. I didn't want anything to ever take over my my brain. I wanted to be a man of God. I wanted to be able to preach, uh, you know, to kids and, you know, help people find God like I was led to him by some fucking skater when I was, like, sixth grade. So, I don't know, I always wanted to be one of those Christians that was tattooed and like did something that people looked up to to kind of influence them that being Christian was cool but I spent a lot of time a lot of my free time praying on those tours especially after I got staph infection and was hospitalized for a month you know I was begging God to let me not die because the band had left me in Des Moines and we were on our headlining tour, which was, you know, promoted in alternative press. We were getting on to, like, the late-night MTV shows. And, you know, things were really taking off for us. And I think it would have been... It was the worst fucking time for something that tragic to happen to me. Because, I mean, I I lived my life for God. I, I, I wanted nothing more than to honor Him and... I thought I was doing a pretty good job of it, and my put put my life in his hands. Like, anything I thought he wanted, I did. And I was, when I finally got back on the road with Skylar Drive, my mind was pretty destroyed from the infection. I had 11 ulcers in my lungs, which, you know, it, the shit was in my blood, so it, it went through my whole body. Uh, gave me anxiety and depression, which I really didn't know existed before that. I knew you could be sad and stuff, obviously, but I had uncontrolled, and I still have problems with it, too, which probably has something to do with being diabetic, but um, 
I would read devotional books a lot, and that's how I spent most of my time. I was in a relationship, so I didn't I didn't go out and party or anything. I stayed in the van and slept and, you know, smoked weed and read my Bible. But I had a devotional book. I think it was called God's Calling. And um, it was kind of like Christian horoscopes. Like you would read it in the morning and it would say something, and then something throughout your day would end up, corresponding with what you read and then you would be like oh my god like this is so real this is like like horoscopes are real that's kind of how I felt about this devotional book was like god is in my life he knows that I have the microphone and I have the stage like god knows like he knows who I am and the book was telling me that I was gonna need to make a decision that no one else would understand and that I wouldn't even understand Till, till later on in life and for some reason I thought that that meant that it, I needed to quit a Skylet Drive and so I talked to uh, uh, from first to last tour manager and I you know I told him what was going on and shit and he said well maybe you, you need to quit and so I did I quit and I went home and nothing you know, I, I made my way with Watch Out and all these other projects, but nothing ever came naturally. Nothing ever has made me as happy and has, like, brought me as much satisfaction as being in a band that plays breakdowns. So it's it kind of turned me off to the whole religion thing and, you know, not listening to myself because I listen to myself a lot more now and I, I feel like I do better and, it sucks that those times have came and gone, and but it's uh, it's cool though. It's an experience that I'm glad that I got to have with all of the dudes, and we still call each other every once in a while and and talk about them and shit, and talk about how much better we could have done if we would have you know been smarter and, and not partying as much because. We came from small towns and all Christian families, so, you know, once we got out there and bitches were showing us their titties, it was, like, game over. Like, we all turned into a bunch of crazy dudes, and, I mean, which you should do. Everybody should experience that at least once in their life, like, being able to, you know, have fun and party and have promiscuous sex, and I suggest everybody try it at least once. (laughs) Even though, advice. Oh, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> even though I'm sure a lot of people uh, wouldn't wouldn't agree that you should, uh, I don't know, you should definitely explore your sexuality and explore everything because you one day you're gonna be fucking old and you're gonna wish you would have tried things or you're gonna be bitter and you're gonna be married and you're not gonna be able to treat the person you're married to as good as you would have if you would have tried things. So, I don't know, that time of our, the time of our lives was fucking awesome. We got to fucking meet so many people and do so much shit that we wouldn't have done if we would have gotten normal jobs. Yeah, it's like life and the journey, and you don't want to look back and think, wow, that journey was kind of lame, you know? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely has brought in a lot of pain and shit, too, because, I mean... Leaving the dudes, like, 
I felt like when I left to Skylight Drive, I had just broken up with six of my wives, five of my wives. Like, I, my heart was ripped out of my chest. Like, it, it sucked. And, uh, like, when bands break up, it, it's it's a it's a hard thing to deal with. Even my last band, or the last one I was with, with uh, Speak of the Devil, the, the members had other opportunities that I felt. Because I introduced Wade to Secrets. I took him down to L.A., and we went to Warp Tour, and um, the manager I was working with at the time could always get me guest lists. So we were partying backstage, and he was like, "Oh, there's a uh, whatever the fuck, Dick Richard." Uh, he's like, "There's Richard from Secrets," and he was all juiced on it. And I was like, "Oh, cool, let's go meet him." And so like I introduced him, and uh, Richard was like, uh, "He's like, you're Wade," and he was like, "Yeah." He goes. You're that fucking dickhead kid that wrote me and told me to kick my screamer out because he was better, like, that you were better than him. And uh, and then I like look at the ground like you did not do that. God damn it. And then Richard <laughs> was like, "Fuck yeah, nice to meet you, bro." Like, <laughs> and they clicked. They hit it off like right there at Warp Tour. And then he got in the band like weeks later. It was fucking awesome. I thought he was gonna fucking kick his ass there for a second, but that's crazy. That changed up. Um, Jordan, wow. I had a, I had a quick question. Um, our co-host, he was a little delayed and he's a little late. Would it be cool if we added him onto the conversation? Yeah. What do we do? Um, I'll just add him in real quick. And, um, I'll just have to figure that out real quick. Um, uh, I believe sorry. in you, Ryan. I believe in me too sometimes, but, um, this interview is awesome, dude. I'm remember really yeah, this is great. This is great. Well, I like, haven't done one in ten years, so if I'm just rambling, I apologize for that. No. Oh no, we're enjoying the rambling. <laughs> if that's if that's rambling, dude, that's that's gold. Yeah, that's gold keep content. yeah, keep it coming. <laughs> you're you're doing great. Sweet. I'm a. Uh, I like. I think it's the only reason that people are still kind of listening to the old shit is because of podcast and kind of you know the 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 scene war warriors like yourself that kind of like keep it alive because there's so much music on the internet. It's easily, it's easy to be forgotten now. Like, yeah. you could be, like, I mean, you can get on the radio, make a million dollars and then be homeless the next year. And it fucking happens a lot. And like, everybody forgets who you are. Who sang that song? I don't know. I've never heard of them, but I feel like you kind of transcend that dude. Cause like, not only did you like you had your projects, but like people like remember the name Jordan Blake. Like you're like a high class vocalist, dude. Like you were doing like the high pitch singing four octaves and everything. Like that wasn't like common like back in two thousand seven, two thousand six. Like that was it wasn't like the common trope yet. No, and, like, that's definitely true. I hear some singers that are out there today, like there's some young fucking kids that are out there doing shit that I didn't, because I didn't even know it was possible to do the things I did on the EP. Like, the guy that I worked with, he was, um, he, you know, he had a degree in music, and he was a vocalist himself, and he said, those were suggestions. He was teaching me counterpoint melodies and octave melodies, and a lot of people, I guess, really can't do octave melodies, and he was like, dude, you could do three octave melodies. He's like, so we're going to hit this you know, we're going to drop it in, and you're going to sing the same part, but in three octaves, and it's going to sound like there's three people. And I was like, wasn't that, you know, fake or cheating? And they're like, no, because you're really recording it. 
they're like, obviously, there won't be three of you live, but we'll figure that out when the time comes, which now I see hardcore bands, which is funny, because when I made Watch Out There's Ghost, we uh, we played South by Southwest uh, with Skylar Drive, and uh, I'd caught wind that their singer was uh, talking about how I was fake because I had backing tracks, and then I go to see them a couple months later, and guess who has fucking backing tracks? <laughs> Funny. I mean, everyone's got backing trucks now. Yeah, I mean, I the only band that I've seen, uh, well, I guess it's been a few years, but Let Live didn't use backing tracks, and that band was fucking amazing. Oh, of course. Yeah. I when I introduced myself to the singer, I thought he was fucking Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw. I had no idea that he wasn't. <laughs> like the like i felt like the biggest noob in the world because i was once i started talking to him when we were bullshitting and i was like this can't be daryl palumbo like this guy's way different because i had met i had met daryl too when we had played a saints and sinners festival we played glass draws first show back and that was actually my last show with glass or with skyla drive I pretty much felt like I did everything I wanted to do. I toured with from first to last, and I opened for Glassjaw. So there wasn't too much more I could have done. And so it was like, this isn't it. And I was like, I had to, like, apologize. And I was like, ah, I was like, I really have been talking out of my ass. I thought you were Daryl Palumbo. And he's like, whoa. He's like, you thought I was Daryl Palumbo? He's like, I'm not even offended. I'll take that as a compliment. I was like, yeah, I mean, that is a fucking compliment. That is the ultimate fucking <laughs> post-hardcore screamo singer of all time. He, like, I can listen to Glass Job at my funeral. Like, he's definitely... It's unfortunate that, you know, he had the Crohn's disease or whatever he has because they would have they would have been able to reach so many more people if they could have toured and shit. But, you know, his, his touring got cut. You know, I, I think eventually they played shows again, but they didn't get to play as many as they would have if he would have been healthy. And that always broke my heart because that band is a band that everybody should know about because he's singing about real shit. And half the time you have to look up the lyrics because his voice is so unique. But I don't know. That glass jaw is, uh, is definitely somebody that I looked up to. And when I was writing Skylar Drive, I was like, I want to sound like this guy and they're like well you can't sound like him so let's sound like you <laughs> like, it's like okay <laughs> so yeah everything everything i did on that cd was pretty much trial and error it was me throwing my voice around like a basketball just to see where the fuck it would go and if it sounded good we kept it i mean it worked dude like um i've heard the industry demos yeah uh those are floating around somewhere, and just like, like your technique, just the way it's articulated, like because you said those recordings were done like back to back, and then when you guys did the third one, like the evolution, dude, like you learned like spot on quick, dude, like you got that, uh, like you see it and then you learn it, like Goku and Dragon Ball. Well, I've always been, I've always been, you know, really involved in our social medias. Like the band got signed because of MySpace. I used to sit on MySpace all day, all night long, uh, messaging, sending my uh, my the, the HTML code to our player. I posted on every fucking page I could, and 
So, you know, I got to hear what a lot of people that didn't like that type of music thought about me. And I took every, I took you know, all the haters' uh, comments into consideration when I was recording. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's going to be able to say it this time. Be like, or who's the fucking now? Because they always say I sounded gay or sound like a girl and shit. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have to make my screaming a little bit deeper so that when I do my singing, they'll know that it's serenading their bitch and then the screaming's for them. Like, I got to take care of everybody. And I took that very personally. Like, I didn't want anybody to not like me. I wanted everybody. I wanted to be a band that everybody could listen to. Yeah, I mean, that definitely comes across. Just here with us. Did you have a good birthday party or whatever? Uh, yeah, sure. It was lit. I was, I'm at a kid's birthday party wearing a "Being as an Ocean" T-shirt. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this is Jordan Blake. Jordan Blake. This is Moses, our co-host. Hello, Moses. How's it going, man? It's going good. I'm having fun talking to all your your co-hosts. Uh, it's a uh, Definitely cool to be able to do one of these podcast things. I haven't done one in like over a decade. Yeah, man. Um, I'm sure it's a lot of fun to like reflect on, you know, your career as a musician and and go through and talk about like some of the the highs and lows. And obviously, a, you know, Skylight Drive was a huge influence in like the California local scene you guys were from lodi right so how how was growing up in lodi um were you guys just i don't know kind of encompassed by the sacramento scene or did lodi have its own little little local local scene of bands we we actually kind of like we kind of had to make our own scene there was there was like a a a punk rock hardcore scene that was going on, but the there was no place or bands really for us to play with. We had to kind of, you know, host, we had to rent out the halls and like, you know, book the bands ourselves because we weren't really welcomed on the other shows because we sang. And there was a lot of hardcore music that was in the area and, uh, one I think can remember particularly there was a a guy Tim Warner who sang for a band called Peltier Road Massacre and uh, he went to the school with the dudes and he gave us a chance to play with the Hoods and a couple other hardcore bands and I think we outdrew everybody and it kind of showed them like wait maybe we should fuck with these kids and let them play more shows and then we started you know, messaging uh, Kurt Travis's band. If I'm in a ride, we wrote his manager, who ended up becoming our manager, and he started helping us throw shows. And basically, before we were having shows, there really was nowhere to play in Lodi except for maybe a couple coffee shops or churches. There wasn't, like, there was no scene. So we had to, we had to get really we had to, you know, show the Sacramento promoters that we were drawing people in our town by booking their bands on our shows and then their bands running back to their managers and being like, oh, yeah, that band actually has a pool and they're decent, so let them play sack. And so, yeah, playing the boardwalk was, like, you know, a really big deal. That's where 
you know, I went to my first um, show and saw bands that, you know, weren't radio bands. I saw, like, I think it was Silverstein, Emery, and Hawthorne Heights was on their first tour. And uh, so it was, like, kind of the goal that was the place to play. And that's where Sky the Drive actually had their last show before they dismembered. And uh, it was crazy how times have changed because that club isn't isn't popping anymore. No one especially really goes during, uh, huh? especially during the pandemic right now. Oh yeah, everything I I hear is dead. And I mean, I know here they I think they might have a show this weekend, and it's like the first show in San Antonio since like last year, since March. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I I definitely remember like both both uh like sides of of like growing up in the scene like having to go to like shows in i don't know like smaller places like modesto and it, there was kingdom coffee and the oh, underground yeah. yeah the underground was uh, also i think that one in sacramento and roseville. one yeah roseville there we go roseville and the one in modesto yeah so i remember you know like going to shows at those places i think even seeing you guys there and um yeah so i'm sure like once you guys started to play shows at the boardwalk you know that must have been cool because being from san jose you know like either went to san francisco for a bigger show santa cruz sometimes or sometimes we'd have to like you know mob out to to the boardwalk for sure um so what were some of your uh like early influences before you even started skylar drive as far as like singing or bands, like, yeah, yeah, singing bands that kind of uh, got you into like the more underground scene, like you mentioned, you know, Silverstein, Hawthorne Heights, and uh, Emery. Well, I think what made me really start searching the internet, which because you know this is before you could just go on the internet and then find hundreds of bands that sounded a certain way like you couldn't even there wasn't even youtube when i started playing so um i think i mean not to be a dick writer or anything but kurt travis was definitely the first person i saw that sang and scream and uh blew my mind his band was i i remember going home like trying to find their music on the internet and I bought their CD, and, and that was that kind of turned me on to well, they have to know of bands that you know that do this already. And so I know that the first like hardcore or screamo post hardcore CD that I got was Thursday, and it kind of it was a um, full collapse. I was and, gonna ask if it was full collapse or or were all the time. Yeah, it was full collapse, <laughs> and uh. Uh, understanding in a car crash was the first song that i heard and uh, i actually heard it on a warp tour compilation and uh i remember fucking i could still remember fucking putting that song on and pretending to be jeff and like rocking out in my room and trying to sing and scream and have my mom come in like what the fuck are you doing no i'm practicing warming up but um yeah i i didn't know at the time i didn't know that it was even a possibility to be one of those people because i didn't we didn't know we didn't really have anybody to talk to about it and 
there was no bands that were 17 and 18 touring when we started. Like, that was, like, a really rare thing. The only bands that were playing out-of-town shows that were that young were, like, the church bands. They had, like, their churches behind them and shit. So, it's it was definitely a different time. I From first to last, was it, it was a huge in, influence. Um, also, because he, he was young he was 18 17 18 at the time and so I looked up to that a lot and I remember that's pretty much how I got in the band as the singer was before practice I would play Thursday or since it's Phil actually the um the EP their first EP that's what really that's what I trained my voice to that was like the one CD that I played over and over again trying to mimic his screaming and singing and stuff so him Thursday um I don't know I never really liked I didn't listen to a lot of hardcore music for sure um so did you have any, so what were some of, like, your influences outside of the, the whole scene? Um, I don't know. I think, you know, I was, I think I was more into, I don't even know. I, I mean, I think I watched, a, I was more into movies and, like, okay. kind of like, uh, art and shit before mute like the i like the emotional part of indie films and stuff like that and always wanted to think about writing musics for these type of films and i actually you know i've in video games you know i've played soul caliber like an obsessive amount and that's what i wrote the ep about was about me being a character in soul caliber and Dude. like what i what i would have yeah. done with soul edge like so if I would have stayed in the band, it would have been more, you know, more people would have kind of gotten the Nightmare reference. But I've always wondered what the fuck Nightmare has those big teeth on his, like, dick area for. And, uh, <laughs> I guess yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, Soul Calibur fan. Like, that game's awesome. And I've always wondered if Hey Nightmare was a Soul Calibur reference. But that being confirmed, like, <laughs> thank you. It's like my suspicions have been confirmed after years. Well, if you uh, if you like go and you, if, I know that he has different um, costumes and different on different games. But if you go look at Soul Calibur three, because that was the one that I played a lot, he has like this mouth of teeth thing, like like a garter or something, like on his like dick area. <laughs> and I never, yeah. I never, I never knew what it was for. So I think in Soul Calibur six now, like his entire torso is just a big mouth that has like a big old like energy surging through it now. So he's oh, definitely damn. got more teeth now. <laughs> damn, that's uh, they should have they should have hit me up about that. I could have <laughs> turned him on to some game. No, I I uh, yeah, I was even doing, I was even drawing up the characters and like we, I wanted to turn the whole entire thing into like a coheed thing. I forget yeah. to mention Coheed. Coheed was in a band that I was stupidly obsessed with, like, just because of the, he wrote concept albums, and that's w w what I've always wanted to do, because if you can't write a, 
like people try to write concept albums and that's usually when their band flops like if you write a good concept record then you're a good band like that's how i look at it like rush wrote concept records and they're still listened to to today but there's also thousands of other bands that tried it Very and true. people i mean oceano uh or oceana the oceana that's the the band that was on rise right oceano's the one with the with the african-american singer not not that one not oceano's oceana they were yeah. a band that was on rise records for a while and they wrote a record from the point of view of an aborted fetus shit <laughs> and it, it's probably one of the darkest emotional records but it went over everybody's head no one really got it and I still play it at least once a year because, like, how the fucking like that's it. That's some dark <laughs> shit. I don't know if anything gets sadder than like being an aborted fetus and missing your mom. Like, that's fucking crazy. Because I guess he was a failed abortion or something. Oh damn! I think I read that online somewhere. That's deep. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. dark. <laughs> See, I mean, that's the that's the biggest fuck you to your mom is you get in a fucking hardcore band like. <laughs> that's actually <laughs> badass I, I can't believe Rise Records didn't just stick behind that band because of how amazing the concept was right um, so you also <laughs> mentioned uh, indie films is there I don't know like one or two that really like stood out to you that that like influenced you maybe it was like the film itself or, or the soundtrack I liked the movie Pie it's just the, it's just the symbol pie. Yeah. Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky yes. film. It's a brilliant film. Yeah. Trippy out end too. Fuck yeah. I mean that that mate I went and wrote music that night after watching it. Like that's why I like to write I used to like to watch films is because I could, you know, translate it into my art. And I don't like to listen to bands that necessarily sound anything like what i'm trying to do because i never want to be like oh well he's good but he kind of sounds like a ripoff of that one guy so i mean i'm i never stayed up on times i mean there could be 50 people that sound just like me now and i really wouldn't know so no one's quite you though i will say (laughs) you definitely like i don't think anyone i don't think anyone's gone to a skylight drive level or watch out there's ghosts or raising alexandria like i was gonna ask about that like uh raising alexandria like that was your project with aaron Polly. like it was very brief but do you have any recollection of that of what uh raising alexandria oh yeah i mean you see here's a crazy hold on uh my phone's on two percent so i don't Actually, I think this is almost done. I'm just done. I'll meet you over there. Sorry about that. My my girlfriend wants to go spoil me and buy me some Nikes, but I told her I'll catch up with her in a minute. I'll tell you guys the story. Uh, so I have no idea how Aaron Polly had caught wind that I had left Skylet Drive. He just he called me when I my plane had just landed, and he was like are you doing okay? And I'm like, what the fuck? Cause I hadn't told anybody. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. What's up? He goes, I don't know, man. He's like, I was praying this morning and I, I did, I just had a feeling that I needed to call you and, and see if you're okay. And I'm like, 
And I kind of like broke down. I was like, I just quit Skyler Drive. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with my life. I was like, I really don't. And he was like, he's like, well, come over. And I was like, okay. And he always played such weird music. I never would have thought that it would have been a thing. Because Raising Alexandria used to play with Skylet all the time. But they were a grindcore band back in the day. And so I didn't know that they had changed their musical direction or whatnot. And uh, if anyone in the world sounds anything like me, it's definitely Aaron Pauly. Like, that guy is reminds me of myself so much i had so much fun writing with him and singing with him because he could keep up with my high harmonies and two people singing high like that it just it's really i had so much fun playing with that band but nobody even wanted to hear that i had joined another band so i think it was too soon and people were still bummed out that I had left Skylit, so no one gave us the time of day. We played like four or five shows and then uh, kind of went our separate ways. But Aaron Pauly actually was the one who recorded trances. We recorded trances with him. And yeah. that was that was when he uh, he asked me what I thought about of Mice and Men. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, they're, they're a breakdown band. And he was like, He's like, well, do you like them? I was like, I was like, well, my boy Tino's in them. I was like, I love Tino, so yeah, I guess I like them. I just don't really listen to them. And he was like, oh, well, they asked me if, uh, you know, if I wanted to join. I was like, you're gonna replace Austin Car Carlisle, whatever. And he was like, I guess so. Is that a thing? I was like, yeah, he's a pretty big deal. I was like, are you sure you're gonna do that? And he was like, well, he's like, I don't know. I, I you know, I don't really want to be a sellout. And like turn and like turn and play hardcore music. He's like, but I think they're pretty good, and I kind of want to do it. And I was like, well, then do it. And next thing you know, Aaron Pauly's a singer of Mice and Men. I was like, holy shit! Like we all got we, me and him stuck with music, and we both got to keep playing it. Everybody else, I don't know where the fuck they are. <laughs> that's sick, dude. Like, that's Aaron, awesome. Aaron's an amazing guy. I definitely miss driving out to practice with him and stuff it's i'm really happy for him that he found a good band or you know something that worked for him because he never gave up on music he was always super dedicated and more talented than a lot of people that were, were making it at the time definitely yeah like he, he stuck to it and now he's like you know he's got of my cement and jamie's elsewhere he's able to release music through both so like good for him like 100 mm-hmm. percent. that's the homie Yep, he's a good guy. He's he's definitely deserving. That's awesome, dude. Um, I didn't want to like keep you if you if you gotta be somewhere. Um, usually we wrap up the podcast with uh, recent listens. Is there anything you've been listening to recently? Um, probably. I'm like trying to think. I've been I've been writing a lot, and I pretty much have only been listening to that. Um. I don't really listen to other people that much. I mean, as strange as it sounds, like I am have been the hugest, biggest Lil Peep fan since the day he died. I actually had no idea who he was beforehand, but at, at that time, um, you know, I was struggling with addictions of my own, and my friend Atian 
called me and told me like, yo, you need to get off the bars, bro. Like this super talented kid just died and like he could have been some big shit. Like you should definitely get your life together. And I was like, oh yeah, fuck you. I'm gonna listen to him. And then so checked him out and was like, oh shit, this is like, like, I don't know. I pictured like if I would have been younger and tried to make music, I felt like I would have made music like Lil Peep. Like it's super emo. It's not singing or anything, but his voice is just as emotional as mine in my in my pers- in my opinion. Like I've had the the whole reason why me and the girl that I'm probably gonna end up marrying that reason why we ended up talking to each other is because when they had me fly out to San Antonio to host emo night. I told them, they were like, well, will you perform a couple Skylar Drive songs? I was like, well, if I could perform a couple, if I could sing a couple of Lil Peep songs. And they were like, you want to sing Lil Peep at Emo Night? And I was like, y'all need to get with times, bro. Like, he is emo. He's the new emo. Like, it's just different. It's like, you don't hit the same. And I feel like people that listen to him, he finds troubled people. I'm fucking 10 years his senior, probably 12 years. And his music helps me get through my day. Like, I have a little peep tattoo, and I'll probably never get sick of listening to him. I mean, all that other SoundCloud shit, it's already, it already had its time. I liked it. It was cool. But peep, like, it's it, it depresses me that he's not here. Like, I took DMT, oh, like, three years ago, and uh, had this, like, weird thing where I think it was just me inside of you know, my own mind, like, making up something that I wish was happening, but when I came out of it, I felt that I met Lil Peep, and he had told me to come to uh, San Antonio to do emo night, and that I was going to meet a girl and all this shit, and it played out just like that, and it literally freaked me the fuck out, because, like, I don't want to take DMT or, you know, hallucinate, like, too fast again, because it's it's a special thing that you shouldn't take advantage of, but it's like, man, maybe because I was really lost, and I was in a really dark time, and he died, and so maybe, I don't know, I just feel like, I I feel so sad that he didn't have somebody there to tell him his worst, you know, like, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, image around drug abuse, and depression, and how it's, it's popular culture now, it, it's kind of sad, because you know, there are good people that struggle with drugs that aren't, you know, pieces of shit. Like, I feel like I've never done anybody wrong ever in my life. You find somebody that will tell you I fucked them over, and I'll admit to it. But you probably won't be able to. But I've I've had my struggles with depression and addiction my whole life, ever since I was introduced to Pepsi. You know, like, I was diabetic, so, I mean, I was sneaking Pepsis, getting high off that shit, and I was like eight. So, I don't know. I... I really, really liked his message, and I, I like Juice World too. I and X, like I guess I don't really listen to anything like post-hardcore. I kind of like those really sad young kids, and it's weird because they're so young. It breaks my heart that they're fucking suicidal and they're singing about suicide and shit, and they're like twenty, twenty. Yeah, man. Um, if I could cut in, like, dude, that kind of made me like happy in a weird way because like I'm a huge peep fan too and I was lucky enough to um like discover him back in 2016 which he was making music before that but that's when he really hit his stride with the Hellboy 
and the Crybaby EPs, I just kind of, like, I was in London at the time, and, um, I don't know, like, I, I just saw him, like, on somebody's Instagram story, I was like, dude, who's this person, like, uh, singing over this, like, mineral song, but, like, it, it was made into, like, a trap beat, and, yeah, dude, like, I, I totally get what you mean, like, it's kind of weird because older people, you know, didn't really want to give him the time of the day, but he was such a, like, talented soul, and, like, man, his music, like, meant a lot to me as, you know, like, like a 30-year-old, like. Yeah, it's a trip. Uh, his, um, his birth, or his death was, I want to say it was November 24th, <coughs> um, I, since the shit happened with, with me meeting my girl and whatnot, and us, uh, you know, having that connection and peep was really what, you know, what we bonded on together when we first met. Um, I wanted, you know, I wanted to keep um, spreading peep. I didn't want to let him die out. And so I made a show, an event out here. Uh, originally, it was called Past the Castle Walls. And it was on his death birthday, the birthday, so the year, one year of his death. And uh, my mom ended up passing away <coughs> a couple of days before it. <coughs> so I had to come back to California. <coughs> but one of his actual friends, somebody that knew him, uh, saw that I was throwing the event and ended up doing it for me. And I heard that it was a lot of fun. And I got so bummed out that I wasn't there that I ended up making a thing called sad waves or sad sad clouds and that was my basically my soundcloud night to where I would play all these new hip-hop and not not necessarily all hip-hop but pretty much all uh, soundcloud artists uh and then the last hour would be a little peep request hour so people could come up and then I'd let them have one of the microphones and let them pick what little peep song and um you know the show never really took off but it seemed like there was a moment where we'd all be crying like every every single show it was like super cool because people from different walks of life were coming to this shitty dive bar where I was throwing the event and all you know being able to hug and like you know connect on this level just because of this artist who had nowhere near enough time on this planet like i i hope that uh you know i could i can do my part in continuing to you know introduce people to him like i've never covered a song or like especially i've never played a song live other than my own and his was the first ones and like that all the emo nights were getting i think they were kind of hating me for it because that was kind of my thing like well i'm not going to sing a skylar drive unless i can sing little peep and then i'd be like fine okay whatever and then they would see that so many people knew about this little peep guy and they kind of got bummed out because like you know just they just didn't want it to be true but it's true he speaks to so many people and it was about to blow up too man it was it was crazy Oh yeah, like I mean, I, I still, I mean, there, I can't name too many bands. I don't think there's a band ever that I've listened to for as amount a long amount of time as I've listened to Little Peep. 
and uh, Juice too. I've listened to hours, endless hours of Juice World. Um, all of those guys, like, definitely have been the only influence. Like, that's why I haven't released music in the last couple of years because that's the type of shit I'm writing, and I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to come out sounding like. You know, because with Skylit, I didn't really take influence, but now I want to write music like all these younger guys, and I haven't been able to put anything out. I don't know if it's out of respect or what it is, but I don't know. I I need to just start putting music out because... Dude, I, I would really love to hear it, man, if, you know, maybe we can, like, link up in the DMs and, like, I don't know, reflect on all these, like, Led, like young legends that passed away too soon man like juice oh, world yeah. was huge too like i i remember watching that ig live where where peep was like you know where he thought he was taking those zan bars but like like I, I was sitting in bed with my girl and i was like dude look this fool you know he's like pretty much slumped over like he like i remember he could you know like barely lift his hand to like you know put like another like bar like in his mouth and i was like holy shit so it, it was very like like haunting and surreal but um what what song what songs did you cover at emo night i gotta ask um the last one because i think there's a video um definitely always did ben's truck just because that was the that was how I met my girlfriend actually I I played because he didn't have very many songs on his uh on his playlist all he had was Ben's truck and um I am having a brain fart right now um trying to think of like the singles that were uh big around that time there was girls um before that was White T and Beamer Boy, and those were like the he, huge it, ones. It was the one that I'm not. A, I mean, I don't really still don't really listen to it too much. But uh, the one that has the video of him and with Lil Tracy's in Lil the song. Tracy, oh, um, shoot, I know, I know which one you're talking about. It was like the one after Witchblades and stuff. Um, Witchblades it, is probably awful things. Awful things, yes. That's uh that that one, Ben's truck, and one other song, "I've Come Over When You're Sober," were the only ones he had. So, but I got the, I did Witchblades in um in Houston with a kid that was apparently he opened up the GBC show when it came through, and I was wearing a little peep uh, hoodie that night. And so he kind of introduced himself, and I don't fucking remember his name for shit. You know how many people I have met, though, that have said that they were his friend or something along... They start along calling him Gus and stuff, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they, they start talking about his first name and shit, and I'm like, nah, I was like, I'm gonna be 100% real with you. The only reason I know of him is because he died, and my friend wanted me to watch out. I was like, I would have never even have known. I wasn't, you know, I didn't even know sound... I've been having my music on SoundCloud forever, but I didn't know that that shit was blowing up. Like, I didn't yeah. know that people were really doing that. Um, I think that my favorite uh, is definitely Hellboy, though. 
Yeah, the Hellboy whole... for me was Crybaby, but Hellboy's a, a close second. And uh, I, it might be because the only record that came out since I was a fan of his was Come Over When You're Sober Part 2. Um, mm-hmm. That CD really has a special place in my heart. Like, I, I got the, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, I got the record hanging on my wall, uh, my hoodie's over there. Um, I definitely, definitely want to be able to release some music in that vein. I, uh, oh, fucking, so there's this new band that, that came out, and... I'm hold on. I'm gonna look their name up real fast because I only know them because somebody uh, put us in a tweet together. Um, if I die first. Yeah, that's uh, Ned, Ned Arb. Um, he was the guy who produced like a lot of um, pizza first singles. Yeah. Like he did Beamer Boy, White Tea, which White White Tea was like the one that that really got me because. It was a postal service uh, sample. Yeah. I was like, who the fuck is this guy like singing over this postal service sample? It, yeah. it was dope, man. So we had, so I, when they put us in the, the guy, the kid put us in the tweet, I clicked on it to see who it was because Lil Lotus is in it too. He's yep. from, he played one of our emo nights and then Zublin's in it and then uh, Travis from first to last, he's in it. Um, You're in so Derek. I, Derek's yeah. in it now, yeah. Uh, oh wow! So yeah, I wrote, I wrote, uh, Peeps producer, uh, Ned Nebar. Ned Arb, yeah. Ned Arb, and uh, told him who I was and everything, and he told me he was a huge Skylar Drive fan, and then told me he was gonna hook me up with some beats, and I was literally like shaking in my boots, like so excited to be able to work with somebody who was keeping the not not only like, I don't even care that he worked with Peep like I love his music that he wrote for him like that's a really cool thing but he's also that his band's getting compared to Skylight Drive and yep. I think that's fucking awesome yeah. so I was really excited and then we were communicating and then all of a sudden he just ghosted me <laughs> and oh, I don't man. I don't know what that's all about but everybody's entitled to you know their own shit like um it was just strange that you told me that they were all fans and then once we started talking more i don't hear from his ass anymore yeah who knows he might be super busy like oh yeah honestly, i can only fucking imagine how busy he is and i know he got the kid too so yeah yeah well, and honestly I, I like we'll that cross, i know we'll cross paths yeah i'm sure i'm sure you will and like what what i was gonna say is that guy like literally carried that like SoundCloud emo sound on his back, like he, you know, produced beats not only for for Pete but Lotus and Zubin as well. He had like a like a a side project with Zubin and yeah, so it's pretty amazing to see him go from doing that to like starting an actual band with you know people who were like like almost held in on pedestals like in the scene like the dudes from from first to last but yeah man like we want you to go get your nikes we want we don't want to you know keep you for any longer i do have one more question and you might not even remember this because you guys played so many shows that i'm sure this is a speck in your memory but would you happen to recall 
a show, I think it was in 2006 and two, or 2007, with Dance Gavin Dance at, <laughs> at a venue called San Jose Skate that may or may not have happened. When we got when we got in a fight with the crew out there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that happened. <laughs> it it happened. All I remember is I, I got to um like I got I got to the venue and it was almost like a who's who of the scene because not only were you guys were there like were there but like Thomas Arak was there, like a couple of the guys from Heavy Heavy Lolo. So there was a lot of like like chop, you know, like like people just chopping it up, and unfortunately, this guy, like at least from what I recall, from what I remember, this guy that I know, like started the whole ordeal. Like he was like hardcore dancing in somebody's face that possibly belonged to like your crew, and next thing you know, like <laughs> like one of my friends runs up to me, he's like, "Hey, we need to get some stuff out of your car. Like, let's go get your tire ironed." And as I'm walking to my car, I see somebody, I'm not going to say who, somebody from another Sacramento band grab, like, a steel chair. And I'm like, dude, this is going to turn into WWE. And, like, I don't know, as I was walking to my car, like, somebody, like, yells, he's got a gun. And then, like, everybody (laughs) just starts running. Oh, man, that was insane. That was, like, that was the last show that that venue had, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, and I I definitely I had a lot of fun that night because it had nothing to do with me. But anytime I could scrap with somebody, I got the problem with my friends. Like I'm going for it. Yeah, right on, man. It was the best part about it was is I don't know if he was actually there when the fight went down, but I talked to Robbie from Heavy Heavy Lolo earlier in the night. And Heavy Heavy Lolo had played, because Skylet Drive was a was a band, and then our drummer ended up moving to Michigan, and so we uh, we dismembered for a while, and uh, so we had like a last show type of thing, celebration thing, and Heavy Heavy Lolo came and played, and some white supremacists uh, started uh, talking shit to me outside. And calling me, you know, asking me, you know, where I got my pants and all this shit. And I just went inside and I, because we were close with all the crews out there. And uh, I was like, I was like, guys, I was like, fucking, the skinheads are out there and they're, you know, they're waiting for me. I was like, uh, so I guess uh, if I get, I was like, I really don't want to get this this venue in trouble or whatnot and I, I know it's supposed to be like our going away show so it'd be a really douche move for me to get shit shut down but I was like I did apparently they're all waiting for me outside and then all the crew came together they're like we're going out there together and we will handle this and I was like oh okay so we go out there and sure enough they thought they were tougher than all of us because we had you know some girl pants on but our crew went fucking 30 people deep this fucking this brawl was fucking i'd never been in a fight like that in my life i've never been hit so hard and not felt it because of the adrenaline of just needing to make sure all my friends were okay but i got fucking speared into heavy heavy lolo's van and they're like whoa watch out our van they had a beat ass van so it's supposed to be it's supposed to be funny and uh 
I, I remember I remember looking up that I'm like, fuck you guys, I'm getting my ass beat. <laughs> and then my fucking friend speared the, the guy that was that just speared me, and then I started to walk away because I wanted it to be done. And they're like, nope, Jordan, come back and hit this fucking guy. And I was like, I don't want to hit him. I was like, you got him, he just hit you. And I, I felt my earring was missing, and I was like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> And I went up and limp wrist slapped him just because he called me. So I was like, you just slapped by us. Man, it's funny because those Skyler Drive used to get jumped all the time. And they would think we were going to puss out, but we actually loved it. Like, we, we, I mean, I loved it. I don't know if they did, but something, something about it is just like, you want to fight because you won't name the member, but it usually had something to do with someone in the band sleeping with somebody's bitch and it's like they would turn it into a reason to fight and it's just like okay well he still fucked your girl even when this fight's over so <laughs> <laughs> jesus definitely do not promote violence but it's uh those crews and all that shit you know that was a that was a cool time like you know like i feel like people don't really have friends like that anymore and that's why the soundcloud thing is is so cool and interesting to me like the gbcs and like the, the these clicks and like you know g or g59 suicide boys and all of their like i wish i had a group of friends that i made music with like that like i don't have that anymore so i really look up to all these younger guys that are making their own scene because i know it was pretty impossible to make a dollar there for a minute and then i mean uh it's like I don't know. Peep in so many ways, it it breaks my heart and makes me happy all at the same time. Just because we'll always have his music, but I I definitely know what it's like to be on tour and to be depressed and to not talk to people about it. And I feel very fortunate to to be here at times, especially when it's like that. It's like man, uh, I. You, you, people always wonder why people that are doing what you want with your life have drug addictions, but there's just, there's so much more. I mean, I've, I've literally have done everything I want to do with my life and I still, I mean, well, now that I've lost my mom, like that's a whole different type of depression. Like now I'm driven, like now I have to make shit work. Like if I give up and I, I'm putting it this way, like if I, if I don't, give it 110 percent and keep trying till i die like i'm gonna be scared to see my mom again so i gotta i gotta do it for for that reason and i know that i'm fucking old and it kind of sucks you know it's, it sucks to get old it really does because i got i got lost for i was lost for years and now i kind of woke up because i got a good girl in my life and um, started, you know, getting clean and doing all the right things. It kind of, it, it makes me really sad that, you know, the, 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 the drug, uh, the, the glamorization or, you know, the, the promoting of how cool it is to be ejected type of thing is, is really sad. And that's why I, have been writing the music that I want to write but I haven't found a platform to release it on because I don't want to just release it on Facebook because I did that with Fight Team 86 and 
the only person that heard it was the weekend's producer. Like, <laughs> I got no fans from it, but now I hear people sounding like it all the time, so it just bums me out. You've always been a little bit ahead of the curve, dude. Like, you've you got your finger on the pulse, and I think, like, even at your age, I feel like you still got a lot left on the tank, dude. And, like, the music that you have, your discography, everything that you have is very inspirational. There's a lot of emotion. And, like, with your tone and voice, like, you've had your grasp on a tone that, like, not many people can get. Because, like you said, you like to put emotion into your voice. And I think that you've mastered that better than a lot of people who try to, like, imitate that sound. And, like, from the bottom of my heart, dude, like, thank you so much for, like, coming here today on this podcast. Like, your music just reminds me of, like, my youth and, like, growing up in high school and, like, going to shows, seeing you guys play with, like, Alisana or Dance Gavin Dance. And it's just, it's awesome that your music exists because it connects me to a different time, to people who aren't here with me anymore. And it's just, like, I just want to say thank you so much for being a musician and thank you so much for being on the show today. Like, Seriously, dude, like, from the bottom of my heart, everybody here, like, we appreciate it so much. Yes, thank you so much, man. Yeah, this is a great interview, man. Thank you, guys. Uh, you know, you're bringing tears to my eyes because I, I'm definitely going through the strangest time of my life, as, as many of us are with the COVID shit. You know, i having a hard time finding my place, and I, I've always been really hard on myself, and you know, I don't, I really don't know what comes next, and I kind of just live in this fantasy world, and when I meet people that appreciate the music that I made, it, you know, it kind of, it makes, it helps me sleep at night, you know, because I know I'm not the only sad person out there, I know I'm not the only person that has issues, so I'm glad I could at least help people with whatever it is that they feel that I helped them connect with because I really haven't done much else with my life and I kind of just sitting around waiting for that opportunity again which I you know I find you know it's it's it sucks to to be ready and I've always been ready and my voice has never gone away I never lost anything I just haven't been able to make the connections that I used to. A lot of people don't fuck with me anymore. And, you know, a lot of that breaks me down at times. And so I'll go away and kind of just stick to myself. But I thank you guys for doing these podcasts and shit. And I hope you guys keep growing and, and reaching more people. And I don't have that big of a fan base anymore, but I'm definitely going to tell everybody to check y'all out because I mean, you've, you definitely have made my night better. I, I haven't, you know, you've getting me in my fills because I'm talking about all this shit, better days. And I hope they, uh, I hope they do come back at some point, but if they don't, you know, that's cool too. Cause there'll, there'll still be these podcasts. I just, uh, I, I, I think, I think, I think I'm more grateful for, for you guys, uh, acknowledging, you know, that I gave, you know, my all to make people happy. That's all I've ever fucking wanted. So, thank you for having thank me you. on your show. Thank you, dude. Like, thank you for being an artist. Like, that's what you are, dude. Like, you're an artist. Yeah, right. thank, thank you, man. And um, 
sorry that I came in late, but, like, dude, I'm looking forward to just, like, DMing you and we can talk more about, like, Peep and, and all that underground stuff because it's cool to have, like, you know, somebody who's already made, like, their impact in music but still be, like, passionate about, like, what the younger generation's doing. And I, I think that will only help you on your, like, future musical endeavors, man. So I'm looking forward to hearing what, what you come out with next. Yeah, well, thank you, and uh, all of you, feel free to hit me up whenever you want. If you ever want to talk about old shit, I uh, I know I could be hard to reach sometimes because I get in my in my zone. But I'm 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 practicing breaking out of it, and I think this COVID shit's gonna fuck off soon. And I I have I have some tricks up my sleeve and some things I've been waiting to do for a while that I hope I get to to do. I can't not at liberty to speak on, but. We could all use our imaginations and hope the best happens, right? Yep. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, have You've a uh, definitely just changed my view on some things, and yeah. I mean, I'm definitely gonna hit you up in San Antonio next week. So. Yeah, when you're here, uh, I got my studio here in my uh, in my hotel. So stop by and uh, smoke a blunt, do something. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we'll, right. maybe we can work on a song, and you guys could uh. You guys can make a show out of it or something. I don't know if you ever do visuals or anything, but maybe we could just uh, record the session. Always, yeah, we can always brand mm. out, right? I could show you my writing process or whatnot. That'd be cool, dude. And yeah, as always, dude, you're always welcome back here. You're always welcome back to come talk. If we have a panel or something, you're welcome back here anytime, dude. Sweet. You want to plug something? We got you, man. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh... I had just talked, Joey had just called me right before um, you guys called for the group, and I asked him if he wanted to come on the, come on the show with me, but he, uh, he just had his kid, and he just had a question about uh, if I remembered somebody, but he had to go, and he's like, oh man, that's cool, you're doing a show, and I was like, yeah, maybe we could do it together next time, I'm, I'm sure everyone's wondering where everybody's at, and they, they're, uh, most of them are adulting and, you know, they've gotten married and have kids and shit, but, um, yeah, there's still, Joey, Joey no, Joey, uh, Wilson, he was the guitar player in Skyler Drive. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. He, uh, he's kind of been out of the, he started speak of the devil with me. And then, uh, once he realized that I was trying to go on tour and do everything big time, like always, he was like, oh, I can't do that. And I was like, ah, bummer. But uh, Nick Miller has the studio out in, in uh, Lodi, and he's still trying to um, do his thing. And he's working with young artists all the time. And he's a cool guy. Maybe I can get everyone together for you. Oh, yeah, dude. Because we definitely uh, haven't been in a group. Uh, haven't done a, I don't think we ever did a podcast together. I only did one or two with uh, Watch Out, and I don't think Skylet ever did one. Hmm. Well, so, that'll be, you're definitely, you're welcome back. You can bring Joey with you. Anything, dude, like, anything you need, we're here for you, dude. Alrighty, well, thank you guys for uh, having me on the show. It's definitely been cool to, to talk about the old days and the new days and what's to come, and definitely... It's a sneaking little peep in every podcast I do. It's probably going to be a goal of mine. So I'm glad you guys were down with that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Take care, dude. All right, later. Later, man. Have a great night. 
You too. Right, bye.